to Real Talk, Secrets to Success, a place where we get real advice from industry insiders on how to make it in the movie business. Today, I'm chatting with Elon Braille, a former literary manager, current producer, and script consultant. He has helped launch the careers of several television creators and showrunners. He has over 20 years of experience working with all major studios and networks, and has an extensive contacts network that includes managers, agents, and buyers. He currently also has a slate of TV and films in different stages of development. Hello, Elon. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. As always, I figured we could get started with you telling us a little bit about your story in the industry and how you got to where you're at today. Okay, the shortest version I can give you is that, you know, when I graduated college, I moved out to LA and uh, I, you know, jumped in like everyone else does. I paid my dues for five years, you know, came out here thinking I wanted to be a writer, but worked for an agent and worked for a producer, worked for a couple of agents, actually. Then I worked at CBS Productions and Network for the head of development, you know, about five years of what they call paying dues, being basically a glorified assistant for several people. And then uh, I was working for a producer and he said that he knew a literary manager who was looking to add a literary manager to her company. And in this time, it was sort of very late 90s. There were a lot of successful talent managers, but literary managers were just sort of new to the business. And it was basically, you know, the opportunity to be, you know, like an agent in that you were selling writers and you were sort of doing deals, but you were also able to produce and you were more involved in sort of developing clients and developing material with them. So I went to the small company run by three women and they basically said, here's an office, here's a pencil cup, here's a phone, the Xerox machine is down the hall. It was, you know, before the internet was, was in terms of sending out PDFs. And I went to town and, you know, without really knowing what I was doing, other than having a good sense of what I thought was a good script, I started looking for writers anywhere I could, whether it was through referral or people that I had worked with when I was a producer, you know, people that had agents that they felt they were frustrated with, that they wanted help, you know, query letters where people from all over the place would send me random letters about, would you read my material? And, you know, it, it took seven years to really build a list from scratch. And my focus was TV because I had worked in TV and I knew that it was more of a business, whereas getting movies made, which was a lot harder. So, uh, you know, my primary focus was TV, although I did work with a couple young directors and some screenwriters. And like I said, seven years of building that list from scratch, you know, grueling it out, grinding it out and starting to build a name for myself. My writers started to work their way up the system. And then after seven years of sort of building what I would call a nice list, I started getting courted by all the big companies. So, you know, three or four of the biggest management companies in LA started reaching out to me. Um, I interviewed with all of them and then I chose to go with Mosaic Media, who's one of the bigger ones. And since my list of clients sort of skewed more towards drama as opposed to comedy and they were a comedy heavy company, I went with them because I figured I'd have something to add to their list and that I'd be, be you know, an asset to their you know, slate of clients. So I did that. I worked there for five years. I was, you know, fortunate enough to work for people like Jay Roach, who, who's, you know, day-to-day -day team I was on. And I worked with a couple of the other filmmakers at the company. I was able to sign bigger names just to that list and having access to more sort of established agents and companies. And when you're at a bigger company, you can sort of draw bigger clients. Did that for five years and, you know, produced a TV show for them. And then I went on to a sort of mid-sized company after that, where I was, you know, hired to basically run their literary division. So it was a slight step down in companies, 
but it was an opportunity to sort of oversee 12 people and really help them establish a literary division. And I did that for an additional four years. And then, you know, at that point, I sort of decided to, you know, pull out of the business a bit. I was going through some personal challenges and I wanted to focus on my kids. And then I just started focusing on producing and and, you know, I've set up a slew of projects around town as a producer, mostly in TV. I still work with a former, you know, handful of clients and sort of have a first look on their material where I get first access to their scripts with the opportunity to go produce them. You know, having worked with them successfully for years, and they, they know sort of my ability to understand story and develop with them. And since I maintain a great relationship with them and all the buyers in town, instead of developing with A-list producers that are, you know, 20, 30 projects deep where you're going to work with a development executive, they're going to get me firsthand. So I'm doing that with several old clients, even though I don't manage them anymore, I consult for them. And then on the side, other than that, I have a script consulting business where, you know, I read scripts from people all over the world, whether they're established writers or whether they're new writers, most of them are through referral and, you know, they pay me a fee to read their script, give them notes and help them make them better and all that jazz. So sort of that, that's, that's my way into the business and leads me up to what I'm doing today. Going back to that very first literary manager position, you mentioned you kind of just jumped in the water. So what were some of the skills or some of the background that allowed you to feel like you were prepared to take that position, even though you didn't necessarily have experience in it? You know, it was probably several things. I think, you know, to be honest, it was being fearless. I had sort of nothing to lose. And I just figured, you know, I have an opportunity to turn this into something. No one taught me how to do this, although there were, you know, women around me who ran the companies run by three women who were there for me to have access to and sort of ask questions. You know, I had a lot of self-confidence at the time. It's funny, I had more confidence, you know, at 27, 28 than you do as a much older guy when, when you're more fearless. It's kind of like a kid, you get on skis and you're not afraid to fall down. So I was fearless. I, I was, you know, able to call anyone, pick up the phone. And I think what made a difference for me is that I really believed in the material I was going out with. I didn't know if everything I sent out would sell necessarily, but I made sure that I was never going to send out something that I didn't think was a great script. And, and I trusted my gut and my sensibility of what good material was. I mean, I had read scripts prior to coming out to LA while I was in high school and college. I had a sense of what a good script was. I, you know, I grew up watching movies and TV shows, so I, I had a sense of what I felt was a good eye for material. And I was fortunate enough to build a reputation that way. And, you know, what I told myself is I'm never going to send out a script unless I think it's great. And, you know, what helped me build my, you know, reputation was I never send out a bad script. So like I said, not everything sold, but everybody at least liked the material or felt like the writing was good. And that left an open door for me to continue to send material to those producers or those development executives. So I think, you know, it was, it was being fearless. It was having a good reputation, but that good reputation was predicated on not wasting people's time with bad material. And, you know, jumping forward many years later, you know, it, it's amazing to me how, how not to put down agents, because I think many of them, most of them are good at their job, but so many people will just throw out any script against the wall to see what sticks. And when you have 10 scripts to read on a weekend and you're a development executive, you know, if something's not good by page 10 or page 20, you're, you're just not going to read it or you're not going to read scripts from that person anymore. You're going to have your assistant read them or you're just going to pretend to read them and not read them at all. So I think, again, it was being fearless. It was having a good sense of material, having nothing to lose. And passionately, the last thing I'll say is passionately believing in who I was selling. Um, you know, I was willing to, to die on the sword for any script I went out with. And I think that's what you need in a representative. You need somebody who's going to be passionate about your voice 
passionate about your material and uh, really believe in you. Now, as a writer, you need to step up and generate that kind of material. And I find that nowadays, even more so than back then in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, people are more fickle about material. It's a saturated marketplace. And even nowadays in, in dealing with all the agents and managers I deal with, you know, I don't find that many of them are passionate. I'm not about to say that I'm more passionate than any of them that are out there or, or more passionate than any of them ever existed. But it, it's hard to find people that want to stand behind their material with passion and really put it out there. So again, fearlessness, passion, and a good sense of material. I think passion really is the key to to really believe in what in everything you're doing, right? That's kind of like what pushes you forward, even in the tough times. But when you were looking at scripts, what were some of the key aspects that you would look that would be an indication that this is a good script? This is a script I can put myself behind and get out there. Well, I think the easier way to answer that question is what always had me reading scripts and what always had me turning the pages. And what I came to recognize after many years of doing what I did is that it's all about dialogue. You know, you can teach structure, you can teach story, you know, you can, you can teach plotting. It's hard to find good original stories, but there are so few good original stories. They're, they're taken from so many sources historically, you know, but dialogue is not something you can teach. It's what I sort of equate to a star athlete or a star musician of having that, that special secret sauce. You know, if you can write good dialogue, that inevitably creates interesting characters. And you have good characters and good dialogue, you can find yourself into an interesting story. Even if I read great characters and great dialogue where the structure was weak or the plotting was weak or the story was flat, I was always more willing to develop with that writer or help find a story or add my skill set of being really good with story. And I think it took that and I had that to be able to contribute that to that writer's process to help them find their voice in terms of a good script. So for me, whenever I read, it was, you know, what hooks me, what, what has me turning the pages, what has me reading and staying engaged. And I think it's dialogue. So, you know, I was looking for things that were commercial at the time. I was looking for things that could sell, you know, at least in features, or I was looking for a really unique voice that was fresh and original and different, but it all predicated itself on dialogue. And since early, I'd say, you know, 65, 70% of my business was TV. You know, back then, all people did was wrote what you call spec script. So if you wanted to be in comedy, you wrote a spec Seinfeld and a spec Mad About You. If you wanted to be in drama, you wrote a spec ER, you know, or a spec Law and Order. So you wrote the voices of existing characters on shows. So producers and managers and agents and showrunners that ran those shows could see if you knew how to nail voices that everybody was familiar with. And if you could do that, the assumption was you could find a way to do it on the new show that you were being staffed for, or if you were being put up for ER, if you had an ER spec, then people wanted to see if you could write the voices of those characters. So in TV, it was a little easier to sort of find and mirror things that were on the air and working really well. But I was the guy who always wanted to read an original piece of material. So even if you were a TV writer, I wanted to read a play, I wanted to read a short story. Ideally, I wanted to read a screenplay. So for me, it was, you know, that voice that really rang out in terms of dialogue and characters, both in TV and in features. And, you know, just, I don't know if I want to say that I had a sixth sense for it because it's kind of cocky, but I just felt like I had a really good eye for, for what I felt people would like. And again, whether it was blind confidence that I had in myself or just, you know, that came innately with sort of the territory I believe my job was to convince other people of the same thing. And in, in many cases, I was right. 
there were plenty of cases where I wasn't wrong. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if that completely answered your question, but that's probably the answer I would give. Yeah, that is an excellent answer. And it really is one of the hardest things to write the dialogue and not make it sound forced or weird. So it's, it's definitely a very important aspect, especially when it translates to the screen. I would love to touch on one of those times where perhaps the outcome wasn't necessarily what you successful for you when you were going out with a script. What was that experience like and what sort of lessons did you get from the scripts that didn't necessarily sell or work the way you were expecting? Well, I think what's frustrating for, for me as a salesperson and producer and, you know, probably infuriating for a writer is I, I would say, you know, if your material is good and it's original, or at least it's very commercial or it's special, just because it doesn't sell or isn't well received doesn't mean that it's not good or that it's not commercial. You know, I would say that if you're dealing with really good material and agents and managers and producers at the highest level, um, most of the material you're dealing with is, is in trafficking and is, is quality. The problem is that sometimes, you know, you go out with a script and, you know, the studios all have something in that sphere or in that sort of genre or in that sort of concept that they have three or four scripts of in development. So they don't want to bring on a fourth or a fifth version. Sometimes they're in production with something like that and they don't want to, you know, develop another one. Sometimes a movie like that for the studio didn't work out on the screen two years ago. So they're afraid to sort of go into that genre. So, you know, more often than not, I think things would get passed on because there was either fear in terms of executives wanting to commit to projects because they want the easy layups. They don't want the things that are necessarily outside of the box. And often it had nothing to do with the material itself. You know, there have been passionate scripts I've gone out with that didn't sell. And there were scripts that I went out with that I thought were good or, or certainly things I was proud to send out, but didn't necessarily know would sell. And there would be a bidding war, you know, the same way there were clients that I launched that were either right out of film school or hadn't worked in years. And it was one particular script that sold and all of a sudden their career took off what, what felt like overnight. And then there were people that took three or four years to sort of get going. So there's really no rhyme or reason to how it works, but Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely got more passes in my career as a manager than I did selling. Since TV is an engine and a machine, I, I had a high volume and ratio of selling a lot of TV stuff and staffing a lot of TV writers. But in general, even in that world, as far as going out with original pilots during development season or going out with pitches, you know, or in terms of screenwriting, going out with feature scripts, you know, there, there's plenty of things that didn't sell. And, and I can say, you know, with, with total confidence, which might even sound like hawkiness, it never had to do with it being a bad script. It had to do with a million reasons often that had nothing to do with the script itself, but had to do with the marketplace, you know, more often than not. And that becomes very frustrating for somebody who's trying to sell it. And it becomes even more frustrating for a writer who spent, you know, six, seven months or a year or three months or whatever their process is writing the script when it's a great piece of material, but it didn't sell. And then there were scripts that I sold you know, sometimes five and seven years later that didn't sell when I went out with them originally, but I sort of went out with them telling people that they were new scripts and was very careful of who I sent it to, making sure they hadn't read it five or seven years prior. And suddenly they sold overnight. So there, there is no rhyme or reason to how it works. It's a frustrating process that is very predicated 
I would say on luck and timing, as long as you're a very good or very decent writer, and I, I would like to represent people that were more than very decent, but if you're, I would say if you're a B, B plus writer, so much of it is the luck and the timing of who's sending your material out, what mood is that producer or that executive in that night when he or she reads it? Did a movie just come out like that the week prior and they're looking for that type of movie? It, it, it's so much of it has to do with luck and timing more so than it often does just the material, as long as the material is in that upper echelon of being considered a good piece of writing. And as a writer, especially a new writer that perhaps doesn't yet have a track record, what are some of the things you can do aside from making sure you have a very good script and working with a literary manager to get your script to the best possible stage so that it has the best chance when it goes out? Well, you know, I think the hardest thing in Hollywood is of, of the many hard things is to get that first that first opportunity whether it's that first job as an assistant, whether that's first job as an executive, whether that's the first job as an actor, um, especially if you don't have an agent, whether it's the first job in TV writing, you know, becoming a staff writer when you've never been on staff before is probably the hardest job in Hollywood, I would say, especially in comedy, you know, selling that first screenplay. It's, you know, it's the biggest challenge, but, you know, I would say that if you're young and you have no credits, it's like a job that you're applying for. I mean, if you have a resume with no experience, it's, it's connections, it's, it's opportunity, it's knowing the manager, it's knowing the boss of the company that's going to give you that job. So in many cases, it's knowing an agent, it's knowing a manager, it's knowing an assistant, it's, it's doing your part to try to get the, you know, the recognition or the opportunity from the salesperson, whoever that is, to give you a shot. But from a sales perspective, as a manager, you know, it's, it's about passion. It's about telling people that they've got to cancel their dinner plans that night because this is a really special writer. And some of it is hyperbole, but you better have the material to back it up and you better have the goods to back it up. Some of it is reputation. If you, if you have street credit in the business for launching a lot of people, you know, then people are going to pay attention to you the next time you send something out, but you better make sure it's good because you can ruin your reputation a lot quicker than it takes for you to build it. You know, sometimes if you have an interesting story about your background and what you've done for a living or some kind of experience of traveling, or, you know, if you're a doctor and you're writing an ER script, or if you're a teacher and you're writing something, or you've world traveled, you, you kind of look for whatever you can in that writer, you know, to sell him or her. And if you don't have those attributes, then you make it all about the material. You know, it was a lot easier to get people to pay attention to women writers and writers of color back in the day, even nowadays, than it was, you know, established white writers. And as much as I hate that, and I don't want to go down that avenue, for me, it should all be about who the writer is. You know, frankly, for me, I feel like the entertainment business should remove names on script covers so you know nothing about the writer other than whether it's a good piece of material. But, you know, in TV, a lot of it is personality. It's, it's being in a room with 10 other writers, you know, day in and day out, seven days a week. So sometimes it is a personality interview where screenwriting is a little bit more like you go into your room, you sit in front of your computer and you only come up for air to have a meeting with the executive, you know, once your draft is done. So there's so many different answers to that question. But as far as, you know, without getting too far off topic, as far as how you launch a writer that has no credit and no experience, you're resting your laurels on 
you know, trying to find the right executive or the right producer who you know is going to respond to that type of material and making really sort of strategic decisions and who you're having read that material. And sometimes you're starting with a lower level executive instead of going to a VP or the head of a studio or an A-list producer, you try to go to a young executive who's hungrier him or herself to try to find that next script and get them invested so that they can be excited about going within their company and getting their boss excited about it. So, you know, I hate the term, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, but you know, there's so many different ways. And I don't think there's one process. I think one script goes to different people, different ways with different strategies based on the relationships you have and the people you know. And what would you say are some of the best ways one can start making those connections when you were fresh in town? You Maybe you just got out of a film school or you just moved there. How can you start creating those connections? Yeah, that's like the $64,000 question, right? If, if everybody had the answer to that question, it would be easy. I, I, I could make more money selling the answer you know, of that question uh, than I could selling million dollar scripts. You know, I mean, it, I think it's networking. You know, it's a lot easier to be in LA than it is to be in uh, Peoria, Illinois, or in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. But it's networking. It's hitting the phones. It's doing your research. It's being fearless. It's making a hundred calls, knowing that you might only get success with one. You know, if you're not in Los Angeles and able to network, I certainly think you can do it from anywhere in the world. You know, if you have access to IMDb Pro, which is a subscription-based website, you know, you can have access to every agent and every manager and every lawyer and every publicist based on every artist and who's representing them. So, you know, you can start looking up who are the agents and who are the managers that don't necessarily represent the biggest stars, but some of the up-and-comers. And sometimes they have their emails listed. And sometimes they have their phone numbers listed and, you know, you can go after their assistants and, you know, assistants to agents and managers for the most part are the gatekeepers of the business who all want to be agents or managers themselves or, or involved in some aspect of the business later on. So trying to find people that are more apt to pay attention to you while they're hungry to try to find that next client, as opposed to going after big agents or big managers who are going to be too busy to respond to something. You know, once I became very established as a, as a bigger manager, I was not paying attention to those query letters and I was not paying attention to those people at a left field the way I was when I was a younger, hungry manager. So, you know, um, I don't think there's a real answer, but it, it's being fearless and it's it's rolling up your sleeves and knowing that you're going to have to write, you know, hundreds of emails to executives, to managers, to producers, you know, a catchy email where you have, you know, a couple of sentences or less to be clever or to be funny or be unique and sort of who you are, what your material is, or try to get them to engage with you. And then once you get them engaged, it's it's about hoping that they'll read, you know, As much as I'd be horrified as a writer to think somebody's only going to read 10 pages of my script, in some cases you say, hey, you know, can you read the first 10 pages of my script? Sometimes it's a lot easier to just say yes to that and only read 10 pages to a script than get a 105-page script that you feel obligated to read. So I, I could probably talk hours about the different ways you could try to approach breaking into the business. It's a big conversation. Uh, I've thought about writing a book about it, but I think that that methodology is always changing. And in many ways, it's also about just trying to be clever and tenacious 
and fearless and sort of pound the doors till your knuckles fall off in essence. Yeah, that definitely is. There's also a million ways that it can happen, right? So it's always being open to the opportunities that may arise. I wanted to pivot a little bit to your script consulting because that's what you're focusing on at the moment. So tell us a little bit about what are some of the advantages that uh, writers specifically can get from hiring a script consultant? Well, you know, there's hundreds of script consultants out there and I can't really speak to what they do. I'm sure there's really good ones and I'm sure there's ones that aren't good, just like any profession, whether you're a physician or a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher, you know, there's people that are good at what they do and then there's people that aren't. I know that none of them, from what I understand, or very few of them offer what I do. And basically, you know, there's also very few of them that are at the level of having been in it you know, a representative like myself for nearly 20 years. And it, it, since it's more of a side business, I'm, I'm pretty selective in terms of who I take on and what I take on, although I'm opening myself up to as many opportunities as possible. And, and what you get from me is you don't just get me reading your script and giving you notes, you know, and getting on the phone and doing everything I can to inspire you and sort of life coach you and manage you through that project necessarily. It's almost like I'm the manager for you on the project. You know, but what you get with me, unlike all these other consultants, is you have an open door to always call me in perpetuity for questions about the business. So that doesn't mean you can call me once a week for the rest of your life, but you can call me every once in a while. If, if we go over your script and I give you notes and you decide you want to do the rewrite, but you want to write something else in, in three months from now, you have an idea and you have three ideas and you don't know what to write. You can call me and pitch the ideas to me and I'll help help you figure out what which one you should write. Or if there's an agent that's interested in you, or there's three agents that you want to go after and you need advice about how to try to get to them. I'm not going to pick up the phone and call them for you, but I'll give you specific advice. So you basically are buying a contact. You're, you're buying an opportunity to speak to somebody with my experience in a business to get advice in perpetuity. You, you can't call me once or twice. You can call me as many times as you want forever. And then the other thing that I offer, and I'm, I'm really careful to not dangle this carrot, this carrot too much, is if I love the script, and I mean, I have to love it, whether it's a pilot or whether it's a feature, if it's something that I feel I can help you sell or help you, you know, establish yourself with based on the relationships I have in the business and the years of doing what I've done and knowing all the buyers I do, you know, I'll take it on and I'll try to set it up as a producer. You know, I, I find myself very rarely doing that because I have to love something just as I did when I was a manager back in the day. I need to protect my relationships with buyers and only go out with stuff that I love. But, but in the, you know, three years I've been doing this, I have gone out with a bunch of stuff, a couple I've set up, a couple I haven't, one I sold, one that might be going into production at AMC. So I've had some success with doing that. But I would say where I'm the most successful is I really feel like my sense of story and my ability to help somebody make any script, whether it needs a lot of work or they think it's done, I know how to make a script as, as, as best as it can be for the market, for what people are looking for, for nuance of story. I'm really good at development and I know it sells. So I, I literally help make your script better and walk you through it. If the script is great and needs a little work, it's it's a 20 minute conversation. If the script needs a lot of work, it's it's a two hour conversation. And it's really doing everything I can to inspire you to make that next draft be the strongest thing it can be. 
So, you know, I, I charge a fee, which is a lot less than what people charge for a one hour, you know, excuse me, for a two hour screenplay. I charge a little bit less for a one hour drama and a little bit less for a half hour comedy. And I cover the gamut of TV and features. So, you know, that's what I do. And, and most of the script consultants that I know of that I've done my research on are really good at sort of giving you notes or feedback on your script, but they don't offer those other two levels of what I offer given my current success, my current relationships and how I'm tapped into the market currently because I'm producing other things as we speak. That's excellent. And you offer so much, but also it's sometimes just giving the script to read to people that you know, know you and that want to be nice to you isn't the best way to get objective advice. So it's definitely good to have someone that can kind of come in cold and read it and give you like the, a more objective truth in a way even though none of it is objective of of the stage of of your script yeah and and you know look it's not easy for me i always want to read a script and love it because if i don't love it or i think it needs a lot of work it, it's it's work for me you know it's not easy for me to deliver news that is not great for writers you know it takes a sensitivity level to be both honest about material but also figure out how can you deliver you know the news about how something needs a lot of work with compassion and, and how can you do it effectively? I think that takes a lot of sensitivity, which is something that I offer, but it's hard, you know, the worse the script is or, or the, the more work script needs, the harder my job becomes and the easier it is, uh, you know, if, if the script's really great, but it, it's a challenge and it's a challenge to handle that call the right way. It's also easier to just be completely honest. It's easier to read a script and get to it if you're being incentivized and being paid. You know, I have plenty of people that ask me to read their scripts as favors. And it's always hard to get to those scripts because even if you want to do that person a favor, you know, if you're reading so many scripts, it's, it's hard to get through all of them. So sometimes if you're just being paid to do it and it's a business and it's a job, it's easier to get incentivized to read them. But yeah, for me, there's, there's nothing I hate more than reading the script, especially from a friend or, or someone I like and, and, and not liking the script or thinking it needs a lot of work. It's brutal. I mean, it's, you know, for me, rejecting writers, you know, is one of the hardest things to do, you know, especially when I was a manager, because it's very hard to sort of the notion of rejecting an artist. You know, I grew up with a single mom who was an artist herself. So I understand what rejection means. And I understand having been in the business for a long time, what it means to, you know, take the body blows of those rejections on the phone from executives, you know, before you sort of figure out how you're going to handle telling your clients that and how you handle that sensitivity level is a skill set in and of itself. You mentioned you try to be pretty exclusive in a way with the people you take on for consulting, but are you open to writers at any level? Yeah, I mean, it used to be where I was really working on referral from a lot of producers and executives, and it started with sort of high-end writers that either didn't have managers uh, and didn't want to take on a manager, but were willing to pay for somebody who had the experience to work with them. Then it started happening even with people who had managers and agents and wanted another opinion before it went to the market. And then sort of, you know, was referral and word of mouth. And then it was people at a film school and then people all over, you know, the further away you get from the business, the harder it is to find great material. But since I, you know, remembered what it was like to find new writers, you know, by hook or by crook or, or by luck sometimes, I decided that I was going to open it up to anyone and everyone who was willing to, you know, to pay the fee, which is not that much, by the way, to anybody who was willing to pay the fee to give them an opportunity 
Because if it's something I ultimately love, or even if I like it a lot, but don't want to shop, but if I can inspire that person to keep writing or make their script better, that's exciting for me. You know, if money were no object, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd go back to school and get an MFA and I'd go teach. You know, I teach a course in screenwriting 101 and I teach a course in, you know, Hollywood bullshit 101. And I would tell people how they get over that. So for me, if I can help make somebody's script better, that's exciting for me. So in the last year, I've really opened it up to people from all over the world. It, it, it is hard when you read so many scripts that need a lot of work. And the further away people are from the business and having some sense of experience, the more I find statistically are just scripts that need the work and are not as great. But, you know, there's, there's no reason to think that you can't find a great writer who, you know, lives in New Delhi, India, or lives in, you know, Beijing, China, or, or lives in, you know, New Jersey. I mean, obviously, you hope that they have a special voice. And typically, somebody who went to film school or has been exposed to the entertainment business tends to be statistically a better writer. But I have found writers that have nothing to do with the entertainment business that had no experience whatsoever, but they just had a gift of knowing how to write a script, whether they, you know, have seen every movie under the sun and just have a gift for writing or, you know, so there is no rhyme or reason, but yes, the short answer is yes. I, I opened it up to anybody that is interested in my service. Yes. And is it just finished scripts or do you also work with scripts that are in the process of being written? Well, ideally for me, I work with scripts that people feel are, are, at least a very solid first draft. I mean, they need to tell me what level they think their script is. I've had people tell me that they've developed the heck out of it and it's ready to go out and they're ready to send it. And inevitably that needs a lot of work, more work than they even thought. In some cases, more work than they're willing to do. Although I'd say a high volume of people end up doing more work on the scripts when they get done with me, even if they think it's perfect. If a script's a first draft or needs a lot of work, it certainly makes my job harder and it's a bigger job because a script needs a lot more work. So I, I tend to like I tend to like reading things that somebody feels are at least well-developed or that they've done some solid work on it and it's not a completely new script. You know, uh, for me, I want to see somebody who's at least rolled up their sleeves and done some solid work on the script themselves. But um, yeah, I mean, the more something is a first draft, the more work it is for me, the more something is better developed, you know, the, the easier the job becomes. But I, I feel like, you know, unless, you know, no one in, and no one in the business or no one who reads scripts, I mean, everybody, anybody can, anybody who loves movies and TV shows and watches it a lot can read a good script and know whether it's good or it's flat or it's not. So I feel like a writer should at least have a couple of people they know read their material and get some feedback before they just, you know, throw something out there into the ether. You might write a script and think it's ready and I might think it's not ready at all. You might write a script that you think needs a lot of work and maybe doesn't need as much work as you thought. There's again, there's no rhyme or reason to how it works. That's really I mean, I'll tell, I'll tell, I'll tell a quick, I'll tell a quick story, you know, one of the first writers that I ever worked with when I was a young manager was Seth Rogen. He was managed by a woman named Marsha McManus at the company that I first started at when he was 18 and a young actor. And she said, hey, you're our literary guy. You know, I don't know how to work with scripts. Can you read this guy's script and tell me if it's any good? Now, first of all, she's read thousands of scripts. And even though she doesn't know how to maybe quote unquote work with writers, this woman is one of the most successful managers in the business. So she does know how to work with scripts and she certainly knows a good script from a bad script, but she doesn't have the patience or the skill set, at least back then, to want to do the work and help make a script better. 
So she had me read his script and, you know, it was a raw first draft of super bad, but it was brilliant. You could see the jokes, you could see the humor, you could see where it was going and you knew the kid was special and had a great voice. And I went through 12 drafts, 12 drafts of super bad with him before we ever showed it to Judd Apatow. So you have to be willing to do the work and he was willing to do the work, but there was something special you could see in that first draft that inspired me to want to do the work with him and help turn it into the great script that he inevitably did. So, you know, I was a lot hungrier back then to be incentivized to help him make it special, but I also knew there was something there. So, you know, the movie you saw was probably even further developed with Judd Apatow from the version that Judd read, which was 12 drops deep. So, you know, you got to be willing to do the work on a project. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. Yeah. And it's one of those things that a script is never really fully finished until the movie is finished, right? Because it's like a living thing that keeps evolving as you work on it. But it's good to have it a solid version of it before it goes out. Yeah, I mean, it's constant development, even editing. I mean, editing is the ultimate rewrite of any script, you know, and the editing room is where scripts often get rewritten. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> no, that's okay. I just wanted to ask you before I let you go, you mentioned you have some things in development right now and that you're producing. So what are some of the projects that you are passionate to push forward yourself right now? What are some of the things you're backing up and wanting to move forward? Well, the things that I'm probably most excited about, um, you know, I, I don't like talking too much in advance about what they are because we haven't gone out with them yet and I don't know how soon this podcast is going to come out you know a lot of it is tv stuff I mean there's a couple of features I have set up at several different studios as well as Netflix that are all in active development that are pretty high concept uh, one is a drama one is a thriller one is an action piece but right now I'm most excited about about four particular pilots I have the two that I have that are in active development and, and looking to get made one is an AMC that we're looking at a 10 episode order from that's set in the world of sports doping. So it's sort of the tone of succession sort of meets, you know, Breaking Bad, although it's neither of those shows, but that's sort of the world. And it's set in the world of sports doping based on that fallen athlete who gets busted for sports doping on a medication that, you know, in a drug that is undiscoverable and sort of working with high-end pharma that is sort of developing this and it's sort of set in that world. And it's with a writer who, you know, has worked on all of Ryan Murphy's shows and is sort of Ryan Murphy's right-hand guy and has a big deal at Netflix. And we had a carve out on this particular script to sort of go set it up. And we set that up at AMC and we're out to directors as we speak and it's something that AMC is interested in making. The other one is something we're packaging with the BBC and Channel 4, which is called Stoker. And it's based on Bram Stoker. And sort of, even though there's a lot of Dracula things out there or have been done, this is about Bram Stoker, the writer, 12 years before he wrote Dracula. And what a lot of people don't know is that he actually was a manager. He managed a theater and he managed Oscar Wilde and Henry Irving, who were both big writers and actors of their time. And the high concept of our show, Stoker, is that what no one knows is that he had a secret lair underneath the theater that he managed. And in that theater, he had weapons and sort of a laboratory where at night he went out with a sidekick and they hunted for, you know, goblins and goons and things that go bump, strange things that be called in the night of London. So it's sort of a high concept Stoker project. And that's written by a former client of mine who's actually a pretty big showrunner who's been the head writer of Grey's Anatomy for the last four years. 
and he partnered with another writer that he knows who's a big writer on another TV show, and they wrote the script together. So we're going out with that. And, and I think what makes it helpful in the marketplace is they're both big TV writers that are behind the projects, which makes anything a lot easier if it's an established writer. But those are two projects that are active that I'm sort of in the mix with right now. Another one is a big network TV show about a race of sailboats around the world. But these sailboats are sort of being funded by a billionaire. And what's unique about these sailboats is there's no technology on the boat. So you, you can't even have a wristwatch. So it's, it's sort of 10 people per boat. And each person on the boat has a special gift or special ability that makes them sort of unique to sailing, whether they're a pilot, a meteorologist, a biologist. And it's sort of this race drama set in that world. And the other one is, uh, is called um, Rogues. And it's sort of, you know, Sons of Anarchy meets Deadpool. It's kind of like rough and tumble former special forces, uh, you know, army and, 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 you know, Green Beret and Navy SEALs that have all sort of gone to prison or done bad things that you don't really care about. They weren't quote bad people, but they got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they all get released from prison under one condition. They go work for a special operative in the, you know, intelligence community to take down a group of bad people and their covers being bad bikers and being a biker gang you know, sort of, um, you know, that are, that are, have the image of doing bad things, but they're really deep undercover. So all very, very different projects, different genres, different audiences. Some of them are highbrow and sophisticated, like the Stoker project, although high concept. Some of them are really top tier writing, like the project, the sports doping one. And then some of them are just fun, actiony, sort of, you know, Dwayne Johnson, the rock type of quality action pieces like the biker one. So for me, it's about, you know, what's fun, what's entertaining. Ultimately, I like to produce stuff that has heart and has humor, but I'm all over the place in terms of what I'm trying to put out there. So those are just some of the projects that I'm involved with right now. And then feature wise, I'm involved in a project called The Rainy Rising, which is based on a 16 different book series by a woman named Catherine Kurtz, sort of, you know, Game of Thrones for the whole family. And that's a feature script that we're, you know, have set up that we're trying to turn into a franchise. So those are just some of the projects I'm working on. That Stoker one sounds totally like something I would watch. So I'm gonna be on the lookout for that one. But those are, those sound like an amazing project. So I'll definitely keep an eye out on everything you have coming. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today and sharing so much experience and knowledge with us. You're welcome. I hope it's helpful to people out there at all, you know? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Join us again next month on another Real Talk Secrets to Success to learn all the top tips from industry insiders. Until next time.